0: reading comes from Mark chapter 14. We're going to be reading verses 3 through 9 in the ESV. We actually uh, read the scripture a few months back in March after we came back from missions. Uh, But today we're going to be taking a a little bit of a different different look at this scripture, uh, a little different approach. Uh, Again, it's Mark chapter 14 verses 3 through 9. We encourage you to find that uh, scripture and to follow along uh, throughout the message. Um, but I'll be reading that for us. Uh, May the Lord bless the reading of God's word for us. And while he was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, as he was reclining at table, a woman came with an alabaster flask of ointment of Purnard, very costly, and she broke the flask and poured it over his head. There were some who said to themselves indignantly, why was the ointment wasted like that? For this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. And they scolded her. But Jesus said, leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. For you always have the poor with you. And whenever you want, you can do good for them. But you will not always have me. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for burial. And truly I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. Well, we are finishing up our sermon series, uh, Life in the Spirit, where we've been talking about how we navigate um, this particular moment that we have in society in the spirit of Christ. And today's message is called Always. So one thing that I've been doing during the pandemic is I've been getting into retro video games. So these are like video games that I grew up with. And, uh, you know, uh yeah so i think they're like 30 years old now at least the nintendo is and i have like very like nostalgia uh tinted glasses when i play when i think about these games and and just in in my mind i'm like man it's gonna be so fun it's gonna be a blast i remember remember playing these games for hours and hours on end when i was young and the thing that i've noticed (laughs) when i play them now is I, i don't really play them for hours i'll play them for like maybe a few minutes. And part of the reason is because they're really, really hard. And they're much harder than I remember them being. So uh, a lot of the retro games, uh, well, the, like the old video games, they're uh, modeled after arcade games. And arcade games were designed to be short because, well, they didn't want you playing the game forever, right? They, they want as many people to play as possible. And they want you to keep pumping quarters in, in the machines, so, you know... Uh, they'd be really hard and you know, the games would be very short. But also, even when they translated these games into like the home consoles like Nintendo, um, the games were really, really short because just the technology back then, right? Um, they just weren't very big games. And so the way they kind of artificially lengthened uh, these games was by making them really hard. And so, um, yeah, when I play them now, I-, I just die all the time and they're really hard. Um, and and, and I, I'm just like, it, did they make them harder? Like like why is it so much harder? So this game here, uh, y- you may know this game. A- any of you guys know what this game is? Mario. <laughs> I don't know if you hear James Coe say Mario, jokester over here. It's called Contra, and and in this game actually they had this cool thing. It was called the Contra Code. Does anyone know what, what the Contra Code is? You, you you submit it on your your your. Controller, right, and and you can get thirty extra lives, <laughs> and so uh, it's up, up, down, down, left, right, left, right. B A. Uh, by the way, select start. Yeah, I, I don't know if the select start actually does anything, but but whatever. So, uh, but even with the control code, even when I put that in, uh, it's still really hard. I think I got to like stage two or something in this game, and so yeah, like I'm like, w- how come I could beat this game when I was a kid? And one of the things, too, is, like, back then, uh, getting a Nintendo game was, like, like, a big banner event. I would, like, get one for uh, Christmas and my birthday, and that was pretty much it. Like, every now and then for, like, a special occasion if I got, like, all A's on my report card or something like that. But, you know, pretty much, like, I'd get a game, and that would be it, just one game, you know, for the next six months. And if it was hard, or if I was terrible at it, well, too bad, you're stuck with this game for six months. And so I would keep playing it again and again and again and again, and I would get better. And sometimes I would beat them, sometimes I wouldn't. But sometimes it feels like you're playing an unbeatable game, and what if, what if, brothers and sisters, you were convinced? You're like, Pastor Steve, I don't know about you, I mean, you practice Contra and you got better, but I keep playing it and I don't get any better. This game is unbeatable. Would you keep playing? Would you keep playing an unbeatable game? And I think that in this moment, as we navigate through a lot of the issues that we're going through, sometimes it feels like we are playing an unbeatable game. Last week, uh, we were going through... Um, just some of the real hurdles uh, when it comes to racial injustice and just some of the disparities that are so wide, you know, that um, uh, black people in this country, um, they, they get incarcerated at a rate about five times more than white people. Uh, that black people in this country make about 60% what a white person makes that black people have net worth, that even though they make 60% of what a white person makes, their net worth is about 10% of white people. And that's partially because of uh, last week, we talked about a lot of the, the housing disparities and how black people couldn't get uh, the same kinds of loans that white people could and couldn't live in the same kinds of homes and communities. And so um, the net worth is way lower. And, and we shared this thing last week that, might have sounded really, really um, depressing. I I know it's depressing to me, this idea that, I mean, it could potentially take hundreds of years to solve some of the racial injustices, some of the disparities that exist in this world. I mean, I'm hoping it's faster, but the point is, brothers and sisters, some of these things, I mean, they're not going away overnight, right? And so we've been going through this whole process of uh, this journey, um, knowing that it's not just a moment uh, that will solve the problems that we have in this country, uh, but there are these different stages we go through. And so we've been using as a template uh, the stages of grief. And um, so, you know, this is the fifth message. And you might have noticed, and, and, you know, because we've been showing this graphic every week in in, in this sermon series, you might have noticed that acceptance, that just sounds kind of weird, right, when we're talking about social change, right, and, and it kind of makes sense in the stages of grief, because in many ways, uh, the whole idea of grief is that there are things that you cannot change, and you have to accept that, right, and so you may get angry about it, you may deny it, you may uh, try to bargain in some way, uh, you might get depressed about it, but at the end of the day, you can't change it, right? But the hope is that some of these things can be changed. So what do we mean by acceptance, right? Well, one of the things that we do have to accept is how hard, how difficult change really, really is. And so it's one of the things that we're going to see uh, it, it, when we look at the scripture passage today. And so, uh, like we said, we read the scripture passage a few months ago, uh, but we're going to be talking about a little bit of different ways, especially the ends. Of this, uh, of this passage here. Uh, so Jesus was in the home of Simon the leopard. He was reclining at table. A woman came with an alabaster flask of ointment, a pure nard that was very costly. And she broke the flask, poured it over his head. People got mad because they were like, why was this ointment wasted? This ointment could have been sold for tons of money and been given to the poor, and they scolded her. But Jesus said, leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a beautiful thing to me, for you always have the poor with you. And whenever you want, you can do good for them, but you will not always have me. And brothers and sisters, this verse seven in particular has been weaponized, I have to be honest. This, verse seven, uh, taken out of context, I think in many cases has caused people to not want to do anything about social change, right? Let, let's take a look at it again. For you always have the poor with you. And whatever you want, you can do good for them but you will not always have me. And so what a lot of us do, uh, what, what happens psychologically for us, is that we focus on the always, right? For you always have the poor with you. And so the way people read this oftentimes is they say, well, what's the point, right? We're always gonna have poverty, it's never going away. And it seems like kind of a depressing thought. I, I knew a guy uh, when I was in seminary who was fighting poverty uh, fighting particularly uh, hunger. And um, uh, he had this thing where he started to get to this place where he was starting to lose hope. And so um, I- I'm going to show you this. There's just going to be a picture of potatoes here. Uh, so uh, this this guy was named Ken Horn. And I met him because I took this class uh, in leadership at, uh, at my seminary. It was my last semester. Uh, and I, I just needed to take a class, and I was like, oh, this kind of sounds interesting. It was not what I expected. It was led by a guy who uh, started something called the Society of St. Andrew, and what it was is a, a, a organization that was uh, about trying to end hunger. Actually, if you want to find the Society of St. Andrew, their website is endhunger.org. Man, what a great uh, uh, URL that is, right? Like, endhunger.org. Uh, so, uh, he started the Society of St. Andrew in response to something that made him really angry. And what it was is that um, he was visiting one of his friends who had a farm, and he farmed potatoes. And um, he saw like these, this huge pile of potatoes, and he asked his friend, what is that? And his friend was like, oh, uh, we have to get rid of those potatoes. He's like, what do you mean get rid of them? He's like, we just throw them away. I was like, is there something wrong with them? Can you eat those potatoes? He's like, well, you see, like, they're a little misshapen. They they don't quite meet the standards of uh, the the grocers that we sell to. So, um, you know, people won't take them, so we'll just throw them away. And he's like, there are people every day in, in, in this country who are going to bed hungry, and you're throwing away how many potatoes? He's like, probably thousands of pounds every year. Thousands of pounds of potatoes every year that are perfectly good potatoes that can be eaten And so this is what his friend said to him. He's like, well, if you want to do something with them, you can take them. And then he's like, oh, shoot. (laughs) Like, okay, so I got all indignant. I got all angry. And here's this problem. But the problem is, is that nobody is picking up the potatoes and bringing them to where they need to go. And he started doing some research. This was in the late 70s. And nobody was doing this. And so he decided to start it himself. Uh, with a few friends, and they built this up over a number of years, and it became uh, this national organization uh, where they, they glean potatoes and all kinds of produce, not just potatoes, tomatoes and watermelons and all kinds of fruit and vegetables, and they will get them to organizations, to charities, to food pantries. And, and it was a really cool uh, class to hear about a story and how you take an idea and you bring it into fruition and you do something with it. But the very last class was one of the most memorable for me. Uh, because it was really depressing. And he was like, you know, I wanted to save this till the last class, but I have to, I can't end this class without telling you the truth. And the truth is that in the 25 years that I've been uh, running the Society of St. Andrew, I sometimes wonder, are we making a difference at all? He was actually teaching at our seminary because he was taking a sabbatical. He was taking a break. He was starting to burn out. And, and one of the things he said was, uh, he's like, when I look at all the hunger statistics in this country, in the 25 years, we've been uh, gleaning millions of potatoes and vegetables and fruit and giving them out for free. And in 25 years, we haven't seen any change in the hunger statistics in this country. And, and he said that one of the reasons why, maybe, that, that we suspect is because when we give more, the government is like, oh, sweet. Society of St. Andrew is giving potatoes. So now we don't have to. And so instead of being more potatoes, the government's just like, oh, well, we get to save money. Great. And dude, I was so depressed after I heard that. I was like, what's the point? You know, what, what was the point of even trying you're never going to make a dent in hunger. Maybe it's right. Maybe Jesus is, is telling the truth when he says, you know, the poor you will always have with you. Right? It's never going away. You know? And, and maybe for some of us, we, we feel that way about things like, are, are we still on? Yeah? Oh, okay. All right. <laughs> uh, I see them tinkering back there, so just, just check in. Making sure you're all awake. But, uh, yeah, maybe, you know, we feel this way about uh, a lot of the injustices in, in this country that we see. You know, we wonder, will we always have injustice with us? Will there always be inequality? You know, will there always be people who are dying innocently at the hands of the police? What's the point, Pastor Steve? Why should we even bother? And brothers and sisters, I have to say that part of this is based on a misreading of this passage. It is true. That's what Jesus says. But that's not Jesus's point, right? Jesus is saying, yes, there is going to be poor with you, right? Um, That this problem is not going away anytime soon. But in many ways, that what Jesus is trying to say is that you uh, the always is about opportunity. Can you go to verse seven where it says, for you always have the poor with you? It says, for the poor you always have with you and whenever you want, you can do good for them, but you will not always have me. So Jesus was mentioning this because he knew that he would not always be there. And so the woman, uh, she anointed Jesus with, with the, the fragrance. And so Jesus is saying in this moment, this is what this woman could do, Right? And what she did was a beautiful thing. And it's gonna be proclaimed in all the world. Wherever the gospel is preached, people are gonna talk about this extravagant gift of love and grace that this woman poured out on Jesus because she was so grateful for Jesus, right? That's what she could do in this moment. And in this moment, I am here with you. And so it is about opportunity, right? Right? you will not always have me. When you had the opportunity, when she had the opportunity to bless me, that's what she did. But you're not always gonna have that opportunity, right? Who of us is gonna have the opportunity to take a big uh, uh, vats of Calvin Klein, right? And, and to take that and to break that at the feet of Jesus and wash his, his feet with our hair. We're not gonna have that opportunity, right? But what Jesus is saying, because the people were complaining and, 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 and he was answering them because he was like, you could have taken this money and given it to the poor. And he's saying, you always have the poor and whenever you want, you can do good for them. Reverend Faith Fowler, who has this wonderful ministry uh, to the poor in Detroit, caste community, um, they've been doing a lot of cool stuff. They've been building these tiny houses. She gave this, this message where she was saying, why do we emphasize the word always? We emphasize the word always because it lets us off the hook. We're like, well, if the poor are always going to be here, then we don't need to do anything. Why don't we emphasize the word you? You always have the poor. Right? It changes the meaning a little bit, right? You, that's who Jesus was talking about. You always have the poor, right? You can help them whenever you want, Instead of looking at this as a passage of despair, of this intractable problem that will never go away, this is a a, a story, this is a passage of opportunity. You always have the opportunity to help the poor, right? And so, brothers and sisters, uh, you know, maybe it's still kind of, you're like, okay, Pastor Steve, I hear that, but what is the point, of trying to solve a problem that can't be solved. And, and this mindset comes from our very goal-oriented society. We look at uh, life uh, through the lens of, of, of like, like a game, a game that you have to win. Uh, a few months ago, I talked about this book by Simon Sinek called Infinite Game. And so he talked about this idea of uh, there's two kinds of games. Uh, there's finite games and infinite games. So a finite game is a game that has a definite ending and a definite winner and loser, right? And many of us, we think in those terms, right? In that Nintendo game, I got to beat this game, right? But there's a lot of things in this world that you're never going to stop. You know, ministry is not a finite game, right? The work for uh, 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 the kingdom of God is not a finite game. And so what many people do, being goal-oriented as we are, is that, We um, are all about goal and we are all about vision, right? And in some ways, I don't think that's bad, right? Goal and vision is what uh, helped us in the civil rights movement, right? What is one of the most famous um, uh, things about the civil rights movement is uh, the I Have a Dream speech, right? Where, Where Martin Luther King Jr. is casting a vision for a dream, a vision of what the world could look like if people were not judged by the color of their skin, by the content of their character, where uh, uh, black and brown boys and girls could play with uh, white boys and girls, and, and that there wouldn't be any difference amongst those people, right? And, and these are things that um, have guided us for so long that we imagine a world like that, right? But in many ways, friends, if we think the goal is I need to end all racial inequality. I need to end poverty. You know, there's a problem with that. And in and, and many ways, a lot of the things in life are not linear, right? So if things were linear, um, sorry, I can't show you on the screen. Oh, there it is. Uh, so sometimes we think about life as being linear. If life was like this, then having a vision or goal is very helpful, like a runner, right? So if you're running a race and you see the goal, you see the finish line, it says finish, right? And you see people at the finish line, you know, you see people holding water and you're like, oh my gosh, if I pass that finish line, I get water. You see someone holding a medal. If I pass that finish line, I get a medal, right? That can be very motivating because you can see it. But if you can't see your goal in sight, then it's not very motivating to have a vision, Right? And this is what's happening for a lot of us. When we deal with social problems and when people start trying to unravel the problem of racial inequality and they see, wow, this, this issue is so complicated. Right? There's so many things to learn and there, there's so many things that are embedded in our society. Institutionalize racism. Right. I mean, it's been hundreds of years of policies that are not just going to go away and they're not just going to go away because powerful people don't want them to go away. And because our society is benefiting from those things. And the moment you start tugging at something like, um, you know, even something like uh, uh, affirmative action, you know, people are like, wait, 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 wait. You can't do this because I'm not going to benefit anymore. Right. And, And that's the problem. It's not that people are so hateful in the society that caused the, the problems. To be honest, it, it was our greed. It, it was because people wanted to make money. That's how slavery started, right? That slavery was about um, people wanting to make money to get cheap labor, right? Are we sure we're running? Yeah? Oh, the audio is still going. Okay. All right. Well, hopefully you guys can see this. I've been showing you slides, and you can't see the slide oh, okay, all right, well, you can see the slides. Well, great. Um, so, you know, for, for a lot of us, we, we, we hear about these problems, and we hear about how just embedded they are in our society, and it can be very demoralizing if you think the goal is to just eliminate all those things, right? And so if the goal is to eliminate those things, um, and, and your goal is to win the game, right, I mean, this is the reality. You may not get to win the game. But does that mean a game is not worth playing if you don't win? And this is where the kingdom of God comes in, right? So first of all, I want to say that the game will be won. This is the certainty that we have, right? Why? It's something we talk about, Christus Victor, the idea that Christ is victorious in the end, right? Right? Jesus came into this world and he took on human flesh and he took on, uh, institutions and, and, and these, these big machinations of, of injustice and he took on the cross that symbolized sin and suffering in this world and he defeated it. And and God rose him from the dead. He overcame sin and death itself. There is no inequality. There is no problem in society that Jesus cannot overcome. That is what we believe, right? But it may not happen in your lifetime. I mean, think about, there, there have been, you know, over thousands of years, there have been people who have been laboring for the kingdom of God. There have been people who have been trying to eliminate slavery. There have been people who have been trying to bring the gospel to unreached people groups. And they may have a vision. They may have a vision for what this world may look like if we can eliminate some of those things, right? But at the same time, brothers and sisters, our goal, our part in all of this is not to win the victory because Jesus wins the victory. Amen? Right? Your goal is not to save the world. It never says that in scripture. Find me the scripture that says yeah, your job is to save the world. You know what it does say in scripture? It says your job is to love your neighbor, right? Which means what? The person who's next to you. You love the people you are with, right? Jesus commands us to be faithful. He doesn't command you to be victorious because the victory is not up to you. The victory is up to Christ, right? The victory is God's in the end. So in many ways, we don't need to worry about the victory. It's not our job to do that, right? It's not your job to save the world. I, 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 that's very popular in this day and age is that, um, and I think that's what motivates us for some people. This idea that I am significant, I am someone, I am important, And people will recognize me. People will recognize what I do. You know, actually, when you're in a big social movement, it's actually not wise to have just one person who's at the forefront. Why? Because if that one person dies, end of the movement, right? I mean, look at the civil rights movement. Look at a lot of these things. A lot of what stopped the momentum is because Martin Luther King Jr. died or because some of these other people, right, were killed or assassinated. And one of the things about this movement now, what's kind of cool, is that it's not just one person. You, as an individual, you are not going to change the world. But all of us, in the power of Christ, in the timing of Christ, we might possibly do that. But it may not happen in your time. Right? And so what we are tasked with is with opportunity. Is there opportunity, right? Instead of thinking, is it possible? Thinking, is there opportunity for me to make a difference, right? I don't know what that difference is going to be. That's not my job, right? But my job is to find the opportunity. And Jesus tells us the opportunity is all around us. So this comes from Luke chapter 10, uh, verse 21 Says he said to them. <laughs> uh, so, sorry, James Cole. I know you, you're doing a lot here. Um, says and he said to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Right, and and I want to couple that with the verse we just read. It, what, hearing this in this context, to say, there is so much opportunity. There's so much opportunity, but there aren't a lot of people going. Why? Because maybe they think they don't make a difference. Because maybe they're like, ah, what's the point? It's the reason why people don't vote, right? Because people are like, well, my vote's not going to make a difference. Well, not with that attitude, right? But a lot of people are like, I just have one vote. It's not going to make a difference. It's like, well, you can't think that way. Right? It's not about you. It's not about you as an individual. But will you be a part of a greater movement? The language in, in, uh, in scripture is the kingdom of God. It's not about the one citizen of God's kingdom, right? It's not about me as an individual who's the hero of the story. I'm not the hero of the story. I'm not the king. I'm not God. Jesus says, I am one citizen in this kingdom and I am one part in a much greater movement of God. And Jesus is saying, the harvest is plentiful. There's a lot of work to do out there. Because I'm trying to bring, um, I, I want my will to be done, my kingdom to come on earth as it is in heaven and this world is jacked up. The harvest is plentiful, the workers are few, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out labors into his harvest? Are we even praying about these problems? Are we like, well, my prayer is not going to make a difference, right? What what, What difference does it make if I get educated, if I get awakened? What difference does it make if I vote? What difference does it make if, brothers and sisters, that's not your job. Your job is not to make the difference. That's God's job. Your job is to be faithful for you always have the poor with you you always have injustice around you and whenever you want whenever you want you can do good for them you can do good for them so we think about these motifs these this idea of having a goal having a vision and you know Martin Luther King Jr had this dream He also used another metaphor that I think is very helpful um, where he talks about the mountaintop. And what what he was talking about is that uh, Moses, uh, towards the end of his life, he was old and, and God actually flat out told him, you are not gonna get to go into the promised land. Moses had been dreaming about this, had been telling the people about it, had been promised this, right? It is the promised land. But God was very clear. You're not going to get to go in, Moses. But this is what happened. Moses got to go up on top of the mountain. He was very old. They had to lead him by hand. And they led him up on the top of the mountain. And he got to look in over the valley and see the promised land. That's what Moses got before he died. And Martin Luther King Jr. um, gave this, this message and it just so happens to be the, the last message he ever gave, the last sermon he ever preached. It was preached the night before he died. And so I want to read you the very end of this. This is the last words that were spoken publicly by Martin Luther King Jr. before he was assassinated. He says, well, I don't know what will happen now. We've got some difficult days ahead, but it doesn't matter with me now because I've been to the mountaintop. And I don't mind. Like anybody, I would like to live a long life. Longevity has its place. But I'm not concerned about that now. I just want to do God's will. And he's allowed me to go up to the mountain. And I've looked over. And I've seen the promised land. I may not get there with you. But I want you to know tonight that we as a people... We'll get to the promised land, and I'm happy. Tonight, I'm not worried about anything. I'm not fearing any man. Mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. Friends, what this message is about is, yes, there is an acceptance that you may not get to see the end to racial injustice. You may not get to see the end of whatever it is that God has put on your heart as you labor for the kingdom. But what we have is the promise that God's kingdom is coming. And it, in many ways, has already started to break in. We do get glimpses, don't we? We do get moments that do give us hope, right? And the hope is, it's just a little taste, it's just a little glimpse of what the kingdom of Islam is like. You know, when you see people for once, you know, actually start to listen to each other, when you see people who are different, who are on different sides of, of, of the fence, ideologically, politically, whatever it may be, racially, and you see them get together and you see them embrace, and you see them pray, you see them reconcile, that doesn't mean that racial injustice is gone, right? But these are little glimpses. These are little foretastes of what will be. And, And brothers and sisters, what we are doing is, you know, as we are building the kingdom, this is the way I look at it. I've been given a certain number of bricks, And my job is to lay down those bricks, right? Lay down this stone. Just do it one stone at a time. That's my job. That's all there is, right? The vast work of the kingdom is many, many millions of people putting down their stones, putting down their bricks, one by one. That's my job, to be faithful with that. What is God putting on your heart? How can you act today? Where is the harvest around you? Who is the poor? Who is the person who is is being persecuted? Who is the person you can serve right now? Where is the opportunity right here for you? Who is your neighbor? That is your job, right? That's our task. That's all we have. And the rest, it's up to God. God is going to take those things. And he's going to multiply them and use them way more than we would be able to do as individuals, right? And so brothers and sisters, I want to encourage you. You know, we're going to end this sermon series, but the work does not end. Now, can, can I just encourage you for a moment? Continue learning and educating yourself, right? Throughout this this. Message we've been throwing out different books at you and different videos you could watch. Maybe you can go back to some of these other sermons and you know look some of the stuff up. Maybe we'll find a place where we can post this. Maybe we'll post it on the LGM Facebook page, and you can look at those later. Um, maybe there are things that that you can do. You know, maybe you could write to a congressperson. You know, maybe you could vote. Well, if you're over 18, you can vote, right? (laughs) We can all do that. There are things you can do, right? When it comes to injustice, you can pray about it, right? That's one of the things that Jesus told us. Look at the harvest. Look at the harvest. We need more workers. Can you pray for some more workers, brothers and sisters? Can you pray for people to care, right? And at the end of the day, brothers and sisters, God is building the kingdom within you, within you, that you become the kind of person who cares about the things that Christ cares about. You become the, the kind of person who cares about justice, who cares about people who are being treated less than. And brothers and sisters, all of this work, it's not meant to be just a big drag, right? Where you look at it and you're just like, ah, oh, man, this is, this is so hard, you know, I guess I have to do it because you know God wants me to. God told me to. Pastor Steve's been preaching about it for five weeks. I guess I should care, brothers and sisters. It makes you a better human being. And something Austin Channing Brown, who's a, a Christian writer, a Black Christian writer, who's been talking about some of these issues, um, something she said on a podcast with Brene Brown. She's like, you know, why, why should white people care? Why should people who aren't Black care? Because it makes you a better person. It makes you a better human being. From the very beginning, to quote the great James Coe, who's been running around, by the way, like a crazy person this entire service, trying to fix the PowerPoint and trying to fix the, the stream and all this stuff. And you have no idea that this, this brother's been working hard. But in the, the, the words of the great James Coe, we all need to be better human beings. You know? And, and in many ways, brothers and sisters, when we do the work of the kingdom, there's just a rightness about it. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. That word righteousness, it's about rightness, a rightness of being, a rightness of the world, right? This is the idea of justice is the best way. One of the best ways to translate that word righteousness is justice, the way that things should be and the way that we should be, being a kind of person that's not just selfish, right? You're not just thinking about yourself. There's something within you that shrivels, right? This is the thing about pleasure, and this is the thing about comfort, and this is the thing about these low-hanging fruits that most of us are contented with. You know, like, this is the reason why we don't end racial injustice, because people are reaching for the low-hanging fruit. It's benefiting them, right? It's more comfortable. They're making more money, and we reach for it, and we're like, mmm, it tastes good. But the fruit is rotten, brothers and sisters. It doesn't last. There's something within you that starts to die when you are only living for yourself, when you're only thinking about yourself, when you're only benefiting yourself, and you see your fellow brothers and sisters who are like you, love your neighbor as if they were you. They are you. They are you. And you see them suffering and we do nothing. There's something within you that will shrivel. But when you open your eyes and you start caring and you start praying and you start saying, God, how can I lay down a stone today? Maybe it's just I read a book or I read an article, that article that I've been ignoring. Maybe it just opens up just a little bit of real estate in your heart for the kingdom. And that is your work. That is your stone for today. That is your job. That is your task. By the way, just as a, a kind of a, a like postscript to this message, um, I looked up on the, the Society of St. Andrew uh, website. They're still going strong. You know, I took that class 16 years ago, and they're still going strong. In 2019, they gleaned. 13 million pounds of fresh produce for the poor and hungry in this country. They're still going strong. This is their vision on their website. They said the Society of St. Andrews in, envisions a world in which physical and spiritual hungers are met through God's grace and abundance in Jesus Christ. Ken Horn knew. He knew. I'm not going to see the end of hunger but I envision a world. I want to see an inbreaking of the kingdom where hunger is met through God's grace and abundance in Jesus Christ. That goes for all our issues, brothers and sisters. You may not get to see the, the, the fulfillment of it here in our lifetime, but we can get a glimpse. We can get a vision for the kingdom that is surely coming when all of our physical and spiritual hungers are met through God's grace and abundance in Jesus Christ. Amen. Praise team, can you come up? I would just like to to pray with you all. I would like to pray for you wherever this message is meeting you. Maybe you're somebody who started to lose hope you know, maybe you cared and then the next time another police shooting or another thing happens and you're just like, what's the point? It just keeps happening. Maybe you're somebody who just, you know, I don't know where you are in that, that spectrum, right? Maybe you're someone who's still in denial. You're like, it's not that big of a problem, Pastor Steve. This is an individual thing. You know, hey, you expect everything to, to just be changed and everything to be improved, it's impossible. So do, why do anything? Or maybe you're angry and just your anger is just just paralyzing you. Maybe you're in a place where you're like, okay, well, we've done enough, let's move on. Maybe you're in a place where you're depressed. Maybe you're, you're in a place where you start to think, man, I can't do this. I can't do this alone. And that's the acceptance. You can't do it alone. That's the message. You can't do it alone. It's not about you. It is about the kingdom of God. Will you plug yourself into the kingdom of God? Will you continue to be committed to praying for the kingdom of God, hoping for the kingdom of God, living for the kingdom of God? I would like to pray for you. Let's pray. Oh God, for all of us, I know I need this prayer too. When we lose hope, when we think that there is no point, God, just maybe we have thought of ourselves as being too important. We have thought of ourselves as the potential saviors of the world and we accept God that we are not. But you are. Your son, Jesus Christ, is the savior of the world and is our only living hope. So whether I get to do it or not, I want to be a part of this movement. God, may we give our heart, may we give our hands, may we give our feet, may we give our minds, may we give our all that we are to the work of your kingdom that is in breaking in this world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
1: Were not made for. Oh, the broken men to being ignored. Surely this can't be what you saw. Let your kingdom come here in my heart, and I will To carry your compassion To love the world that's broken To be your hands and feet And I will give With the life that I've been given And go beyond religion To see the world be changed By the power of your name Give. And surely faith without action is there Let your kingdom come And we break this heart Oh, and I will live To carry your compassion To love the world that's broken To be your hands and feet and I will give with the life that I've been given and go beyond religion to see the world be changed by the power of your name. Jesus, your name is a shelter for the hurting. And your name is a refuge. Rest- For the weak, only Your name can redeem the undeserving. Jesus, Your name holds everything I need. To be your hands and feet And I will give With the life that I've been given And go beyond religion To see the world be changed By the power of your name By the power of your name
0: Brothers and sisters, there is hope. There's hope that we have in Christ. So may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ in the love of God the Father and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with all of us, now and always. Amen. Go in peace, friends. Oh, by the way, I, I did want to mention uh, next week we're starting a new sermon series. It's going to be uh, about thriving in the pandemic. And uh, if you have any, you know how like show those little graphics uh, in the PowerPoint for the uh, sermon series? If you have any graphics that you would want to, like you want to make a little title screen for that, Uh, You can send that to me. I'd love to, to share.